This is the Responsible Sports Podcast, presented by Liberty Mutual Insurance. In this episode, we welcome Tim Howard. Responsible Sports is a program dedicated to supporting youth sport coaches and parents who help our children succeed both on and off the field. Each episode, our host Jim Thompson, CEO of Positive Coaching Alliance, will be joined by professional coaches, Olympians, world-class athletes, general managers, and leading youth sports experts who share their insights from their own sports careers. In this podcast, Jim Thompson, founder and CEO of Positive Coaching Alliance, talks with USA Soccer and Everton English Club goalkeeper, Tim Howard. I think over time you develop uh, the ability to overcome mistakes mentally. It's not an easy thing. I think that's that's probably one of the toughest things that we that we encounter. Um, you know, as again, top level athletes or goalkeepers or, or you know, skill position players, it's hard to it's hard to recover. And I think that's what separates the good from the great. Uh, the great the great ones know that um, that to dwell on a mistake is only going to lead to another one. Tim talks about his youth sports experience, how he played multiple sports growing up and why he finally decided to concentrate on soccer. He shares how he overcomes mistakes and stays in the moment during a match. He also provides advice to coaches of athletes with disabilities such as Tourette's syndrome, which he has. Tim, I want to start off by introducing you to our responsible sports audience. Tim Howard was born in North Brunswick, New Jersey, and played both soccer and basketball through high school. During his senior year at North Brunswick Township High School, he led his basketball team to the state finals. By the age of 15, Tim was playing in goal for U.S. national teams. In May 1997, while still in high school, he played in his first professional game for the North Jersey Imperials. Tim made his MLS debut in 1998 with the Metro Stars with five saves and a 4-1 win over Colorado. In 2001, he became the youngest player to win the MLS Goalkeeper of the Year Award after posting four shutouts and a league-leading 146 saves. He played, he played every minute of every game for the Metro Stars that season and was named to the MLS All-Star Team and was named the MLS Humanitarian of the Year for his work with children with Tourette's Syndrome a condition he also has. In the middle of the 2003 MLS season, Manchester United signed him, and he immediately had an impact, saving the the decisive penalty in the Community Shield against Arsenal. At the 2004 FA Cup Final, he became only the second American to pick up a winner's medal. Tim joined joined Everton on loan during the 2006-07 season and then signed a permanent deal in February of 2007. He captained the team for the first time in late 2009 and in March 2012 signed a new deal, keeping him with Everton through summer of 2016. Tim's first cap on a senior U.S. team came in 2002 against Ecuador. He served as a backup to Casey Keller in the 2006 FIFA World Cup and then started for the U.S. in the 2007 CONCACAF Gold Cup. In the 2009 Confederations Cup, he shut out Spain, then ranked number one in the world in the semifinals, and was awarded the Golden Glove as a tournament's best goalkeeper. He was a starting goalkeeper for the U.S. in the 2010 FIFA World Cup, where the U.S. made it to the round of 16. 
Wow, quite a resume. Tim, thanks for joining the Responsible Sports audience and me today. Well, thank you for having me. It is certainly an honor and a pleasure. I'm uh, excited to speak with you. It's going to be great because lots and lots of coaches, parents, and youth athletes are going to hear this podcast. So let me start by saying, um, growing up uh, with so much talent in two sports, how did you finally decide it was time to focus on soccer? And do you think your time playing basketball made you a better soccer player? Well, to answer that back to front, yes, I do. I think I think the my abilities um, in both sports kind of complements each other, and ultimately. Um, just the skills that I learned in both have have helped me as a goalkeeper over the years. Um, I think it, the, the time came when I decided that at 18 I was going to turn professional in <laughs> in uh, soccer. And since I was no Bo Jackson or Deion Sanders, I didn't think it was quite possible to do two sports. Um, anyway, at that level. But I, I enjoy I enjoy basketball. It's still my favorite sport. It's just I've got such a passion for it to watch it and to play it, but um, it was pretty easy choice. I missed playing basketball, but once I decided that the professional soccer route was the way I wanted to go, um, it, the decision was kind of made for me. You know, we, we, we think uh, in the Responsible Sports Program and Positive Coaching Alliance, which I'm involved with also, um, we think premature specialization is really not good for most kids, and when did you stop playing basketball? Uh, I stopped. I stopped playing right at uh, you know eighteen when I or seventeen when I when I graduated high school. So you played both sports full full bore through high school. That's great. Oh yeah, yeah, and I think I, I, I certainly agree with uh, with your ideas and your views. It's important. Uh, I just think it helps in a lot of aspects to play different sports to play different positions you know certainly as a as a goalkeeper I've, I played you know when I was growing up in high school I, I played on the national team I played a club soccer and I played in high school and I never played goalkeeper in just one of those teams I played I played midfield and forward and defender and goalkeeper and it just kind of kind of made it fun and, and healthy and I was always my mind was always on goalkeeping and that was my specialty but I, I played every other position as well. Yeah. Well, I think having that kind of variety, either variety within your sport, playing different positions or variety across sports, keeps kids motivated. It's fun as opposed to it's like a job. I've got to be the goalkeeper every time. Mm-hmm. And, that, and I think that's what that was what my coaches and parents were motivated for me was just look, we don't want him. He enjoys goalkeep. Tim enjoys goalkeeping, but it, it, we don't, we didn't, they didn't want it to get me get me so bogged down with just one position they wanted it to continue to be fun so if I ever got too hectic in goal then I played outfield and vice versa yeah you know you were diagnosed with Tourette's syndrome in middle school and um, maybe just a, a, a before I ask you questions about that could you give us just a quick uh, description of what Tourette's syndrome is in case some some of our listeners don't know sure it's um, it's a condition that um, that involves uh, involuntary uh, ticks of yeah, that, whether that be uh, verbalizations or or physical, um, such as eye blinking, coughing, um, sometimes outbursts, um, verbal outbursts, but um, it seems to be more prevalent in in boys than in girls, and it usually kind of shows itself or manifests itself um, physically in children 
between the ages of six and ten. So, how did your coaches handle this? And uh, do you have any advice for the uh, responsible coaches and parents out there uh, if they have a player or a child with Tourette's syndrome? You know, I think there's, uh, I guess there's no hard and fast rule. I think there's just the advice that I could give would be um, this always always and forever will be uh, an issue for the child to deal with first and foremost. And that basically means if they want to talk about it, great, give them a form to talk about it. If they decide they don't want to talk about it or discuss it um, or have it be an issue, then I think it needs to. I think their wishes need to be respected. What's important in a, in a team environment, you know, certainly that I grew up in, uh, it's important that people, both coaches, parents, and other teammates, are made aware of the condition, uh, but then then allow the child to express themselves freely. And I think once you once you kind of hit the nail on the head and, and and let everyone know this is what's going on with. Timmy or Johnny or whomever it is, people begin to understand and then move beyond it. That, that's great advice. Um, let's talk about uh, being a goalkeeper. What mental approach does a player need to be successful in a goal? Oh, gosh, <laughs> a lot. I think there's, you know, goal, I, I always say goalkeeping isn't tough, it's impossible. Uh, and certainly mentally, one of the toughest, you have to have thick skin, um, be willing to not only take criticism, but also ignore criticism, which is, which is I think, very difficult. But, uh, but conversely, it's important to ignore praise as well, you know, and because I, never, I, I always think as a goalkeeper, certainly as you move up the ranks, you're never as good as you think you are, you're never as bad as you think you are. You know, it's, you're kind of somewhere in between, and, and um, the mental approach is is I think one of the key factors that when I speak to children who are goalkeepers and I have my own goalkeeping academy, that's what I try and tell them is, look, you're never going to be perfect. You know, that's why that's why everyone enjoys watching sports because people score, right? So, um, you know, that that mental approach to being just so mentally determined and so uh, self confident and have that belief in yourself, I think is. Uh, is the main key I try to get across. You know, I interviewed Jim Craig recently, the goalkeeper in the USA 1980 hockey team that won the gold medal, the so-called miracle on ice. Um, and one of the things he said was pretty interesting is that, he, he, you know, people think you need to keep your eye on the puck all the time in hockey as a goalkeeper, but he really had to understand the skills of all of his teammates and kind of see plays developing. Did, do you agree with that? Well, yeah, I, I certainly think so. I mean, you kind of follow the play as it goes on, but it's not—it's not always the case um, where you where you're just locked into the ball. <clears throat> In fact, it's something we, um, you know, we talk about as defenders. I, I think you can you can you can throw a blanket over it and and use it as a rule. But as defenders, we we always say, uh, don't get caught ball watching, and that basically means. You know, there's a lot of other things going on that will impact directly on whether a goal is scored or not. And of course, the ball has to go in the net. But if the ball is, you know, 50 yards upfield and it's on the left-hand side, you kind of know that you don't have to be locked into the ball. Um, so we're always just talking about the movements of of each other and the movements of players around us, and that communication comes into play. So I would certainly agree with that.
Yeah, that's great. He also said, uh, which I thought was interesting, is it's not possible to be focused uh, for 60 minutes. And so, you know, he he would, um, you know, he would let uh, when the ball or when the puck was down at the other end, he would relax and then and then really focus as it came. How did you how do how do you maintain your focus when you really need it? That's also another good point. I think goalkeepers are usually cut from the same cloth, whether no matter what sport they play. Um, but yeah, that, I think there's there's breaks or lulls in the game, whether that be um, during timeouts or um, the ball being out of play. And obviously in hockey, the ball's uh, the puck's never out of play, but there's stoppage with a whistle. I think you can allow yourself to kind of um, drift off a bit. But I also think in those moments, it's important to. Um, to, to get refocused on what's about to come. So, yeah, there, there are lulls, and I don't think you can be hyper-concentrated for 90 minutes or 60 minutes. I think that's – I don't think your brain allows for that. Um, but certainly uh, – but, uh, but I, do, I do believe that you can, uh, you can take a quick break and then refocus. You know, in the Responsible Sports Program, we talk about the importance of being able to bounce back from mistakes. Um, and you know, goalkeepers in particular. I think you know, quarterbacks in football, um, pitchers in baseball, goalkeepers in soccer and hockey. Um, just a lot of pressure on those people, uh, and mistakes that become very obvious. Um, do, do you have a certain ritual or routine you use to to recover from a mistake? Um, <clears throat> it's a good question. I think <clears throat> I think I I think over time you develop. Uh, the ability to overcome mistakes mentally. It's not an easy thing. And I think that's, that's probably one of the toughest things that we, that we encounter, um, you know, as, again, top-level athletes or goalkeepers or, or, you know, skilled position players. It's hard, to, it's hard to recover, and I think that's what separates the good from the great. Uh, the great, the mm-hmm. great ones know that, um, that to dwell on a mistake is only going to lead to another one. You know, and and I think one of the it's not a ritual per se, but it's one one thing that happens when a play is made or not made that you know maybe I I think I should have done better or there was a mistake made. I just try to refocus and on knowing why I'm there and that I'm good enough to be there. I'm good enough to make the plays and just kind of positive thinking. And again, it's not easy when you're in front of fifty thousand people and they're booing or they're screaming or they're you know upset with you it's it's a very very difficult situation but again that's why i said it, it that's what that's what turns the the good into great uh, just being able to kind of put it behind them and and move and move forward focusing on the next few plays but i also think the same can be said for a great a great save or a great play because your mind can just as quickly drift and dwell on a great play and the next play, something something wrong can happen if you're not focused. Wow, that that's uh, great. You know, just thinking about um, you know the pressure of being in one of these really key positions in a sport. Um, I could see you know a kid saying to himself, "Okay, if I want to be great, I've got to be able to deal with this pressure. I got to recover from it." That's really inspiring. Also, like what you said about um, you know our attention can be hijacked by a great play we make. Um, that that's that's a pretty interesting idea. It's like uh, being able to to bring your attention back where you want it. Um, you know, if something bad happens, if something really good happens. 
Yeah, and I think it's all about, you know, it's all about <clears throat> staying in the moment. You know, it's for me if I make a good save, uh, and it happens to go out for a corner kick because I've saved it and it's gone out of bounds. Well, that save is is then nullified if on the ensuing corner kick. Uh, we give up a goal because we're not prepared or I've not put people in the right position or I've not made the right play. So I always try and stay in the moment thinking that in order for what, what good just happened, in order for that to be sustained, I need to continue to make good plays because otherwise then it's for nothing. <laughs> you know, So it's, yeah. it's kind of one of the ways I, I look at it. So I, I, I've, I've read about your 102-yard um, goal. It's just unbelievable. A Premier League match back in the 2011-12 season, um, you know, apparently the win got it, and uh, you scored. And um, one of the most interesting—I mean, that's that's amazing, no matter what. But one of the most amazing things about it is that you didn't celebrate, and you said it was because of your respect for your opposing goalkeeper. Uh, say something about that. That's amazing. Well, I, I, you know, I, I just when when you're a goalkeeper, again, it's, there's there's times when you, you you make a mistake, or oftentimes bad mistakes lead to you know embarrassment. And I, I for me at that moment, it was twofold. I didn't really <clears throat> I didn't really want to show up the other guy. You know, it's in embarrassing situations like that. I don't know. It just it didn't seem right for whatever reason. Um, but also, which again uh, held true was it was only the 60th minute, and I knew that we had and we hadn't won the game. It wasn't like it was. Uh, you know, we scored. I scored the goal in the 90th minute to win the game. It was still a lot of time left, and as it happened, they scored two goals that came back and and won. So um, again, it was just me trying to be in the moment. Now I would have I would have been excited and, and ecstatic if we'd won the game based on my goal, but that didn't happen. So I was just trying to again. It was it was a it was a fun fun moment, but I didn't I didn't want to get too caught up in it. I, I would have enjoyed much more if we had won the game. You know, we, we, we talked with Positive Coaching Alliance and the Responsible Sports, uh, Liberty Mutuals program. Uh, we talk about how the, the real benefit of sports is for kids to learn life lessons. And, you know, you, you stress several times about being in the moment. And it seems like that is a really life lesson because so often, uh, you know, you kind of, it seems like you almost, people kind of almost sleepwalk through life sometimes. And, and the, the, Learning to focus and really be in the moment in a on the soccer pitch can help uh, people be present the rest of their lives. Yeah, it's a as you, as you said, it's a great life lesson because it, it does spill over to to everyday life. You know, it's 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 important to remember the past and look to the future, but it's also important to to do what's what's kind of asked of us today you know and I, and I think that for for athletes it's virtually the same on the field you know it's not what you did yesterday or it's not the game next week it's it's right now and it's the, it's the next play in this moment so I think it's all, those are all very important things yeah you know we we have a, a phrase we use a lot honoring the game and um, I just really want to salute you for um you know, honoring honoring your uh, your opposition number and the goal. We, we we talk about the roots of honoring the game, respect for the rules, your opponents, the officials, teammates, and yourself. And I think that your 102 uh, yard goal was, uh, and how you responded to it, was a perfect example of honoring the game. So I wanted to salute you for that. Oh, thank you. So 2009, you helped shut out Spain, then number one ranked in the world, uh, semifinals of the Gold Cup. 
um, which you know I think surprised some people and showed the U.S. could play with the best in the world. I'd love to just get your reactions or thoughts, memories about that game. Oh yeah, it definitely shocked the world, really, the world of soccer because you know that probably shouldn't have happened, you know, uh, based on merit and paper and all the rest of it. But just goes to show you that you know you give you give everything. And if you do it often enough, you know, every now and again you get uh, you get your just rewards. And it was a it was a magical night. It was one that I'll remember forever. Uh, certainly, probably up there with the the highlight of my career. You know, um, here we were against the best team in the world. I hadn't lost in 36 games, and it had an unbelievable record. And semifinal of a, to- a major tournament for us to get to a a major tournament <clears throat> final and. Uh, <clears throat> to be able to shut them out one nothing was, you know, they had all the top players on the field, and we, we just we played so admirably. Um, it was fantastic. Yeah, cool. Um, I'd, I'd love it uh, if you talked about, you know, your, your high school and youth sports experience and any coaches you had, basketball, soccer, anything, who you felt were really positive coaches. Um, you know, we talk about responsible coaches having two goals, uh, better athletes, better people, uh, trying to win, but also teaching life lessons. I'd love to hear you talk about any any coach that you had as a youth that, that really uh, helped you become who you are. Well, I think the one that stands out for me the most is a, um, a goalkeeper coach of mine when I was growing up uh, by the name of Tim Mulqueen, and uh, he's quite literally one of the best around, and he was uh, he was a New Jersey guy, and I was fortunate enough to kind of grow up in the area that he that he was coaching because he coached goalkeeper clinics. He coached the New Jersey ODP state team. Uh, he subsequently then coached coached uh, the Metro Stars. Um, was a goalkeeper coach for the Metro Stars. So I played under him for for a long time. So he was he was a, a goalkeeper coach and a mentor of mine, and has become a, a truly great friend. And, and in fact, he and I um, are the co-directors of of my goalkeeping camp. Um, but he also, as much as he taught me pretty much everything I knew about goalkeeping, he he was also a guy who um, was a firm believer that goalkeepers needed to be leaders, whether they wanted to be or not. And that, and and with and he still teaches that today at our camp is that there, there comes a certain responsibility uh, with being a goalkeeper. So if you don't want that responsibility, too bad because you have it, kind of thing. And um, you know, again, that just goes back to. Uh, looking after your teammates and your, you know, your soccer equipment, and you know, just just doing all the <clears throat> right things to be looked upon as a as a leader and as a as a good person within the team. You know, we have a concept we call the triple impact competitor. You make yourself better, you make your teammates better, you make the game better by the way you compete, and um, that second level about making your teammates better. That's what I thought of when you're talking about Tim. Mulqueen saying, you know, you got to be a leader if you're a goalkeeper. Um, you know, you gotta, you gotta help make your teammates better. Yeah, I, I think it's, I think it's <clears throat> vitally important that, <clears throat> you know, the, the biggest part for that of that for me is is making sure that you you make people around you better. You know, and again, that's that's that can fall over into everyday life too. You know, uh, you become better, I think, as an individual, as a person, when you can inspire the people around you to be better. Yeah, yeah. You know, for 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 all the the 
youth athletes who are going to be hearing this and and their coaches and parents you know one of the as as a, as a teenager we tend to think we're immortal nothing bad's going to happen to us and then it can be really frustrating i've talked to several friends recently who have kids who are you know junior to seniors they're really looking forward to their last season of their sport and then they get injured um, any advice to to give youth athletes um, how to deal with uh, with injuries? How to stay positive when you're uh, you're dealing with an injury? Well, yeah. Again, I haven't had too you know. Thankfully, not, I haven't had too many experiences with injuries. But uh, you know, I think it's part of the game. You know, <clears throat> we push our bodies to the limits, and <clears throat> every now and again, um, you know, we have to take a step back because of an injury. Um, but yeah, it, it, I would. My suggestion would be to tackle the injury the same way you tackle training or a diet or, or a game. You know, you, you go all out and you do everything you possibly can to, to win. So I think, you know, injuries are, are are the same. What's asked of you by the training staff, I think, you or, you know, your coaches or parents, you, you do it and um, the road to recovery is then quicker, you know, and, and less painful because... Um, you're, you're doing with, with the mindset to come back, but also to come back stronger. That's, that's great advice. So when you think of the kind of coaches you'd like for your, your kids, uh, your son and daughter, how would you describe those coaches? Um, well, I, I, you know, I think every coach has the, has the right to kind of have their own techniques and their own their own way of coaching so i think that needs to they need to be allowed to express that um and i think as a parent what i try and do is let the kids certainly let my my children uh get that coaching and then i try and help help that along with positive feedback and whether they had a you know they got upset with the coach or they didn't like something about it then we Rather than just dismiss it and say, "Well, Dad, Dad knows better," so listen to Dad. <clears throat> just try and talk them through. Hey, listen, the coach, <clears throat> the coach is there for a reason, and every now and again you might not agree with him, but you know that type of thing. So, I, I, I you want you want positive coaches in, in 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 any aspect, you know. But I think for me, <clears throat> I can I couldn't really put my finger on it and define the exact coach I, w- I would like for my my children because I think. All coaching is important. I think it's. I think it's good for them to learn what good coaches are, what bad coaches are, so that they know the difference. So th- that's that's great. The um, as a, as a sports parent, um, if you could be beamed into the living room of every sports parent in the country and and say one thing to those parents that would help their kids uh, the most, what what would you say to them? Uh, from from a parenting technique. Yeah, to, to what what would you say to sports parents that would help them help their kids? You know, I think it's what I do with my own children, and I think it's what, what my parents did with me. They just kind of gave me every possible <clears throat> sports opportunity, whether that was putting me in different leagues and sports um, and then letting me go with it. You know, they didn't, weren't, they weren't <clears throat> too hands-on. I think one of the biggest issues we face is the parents who are, ultra hands-on and who know it all and and you know i think that's a, that ends up becoming a detriment because they think they're doing well by their children but you know you can almost have usually see the child kind of putting their head down thinking oh here we go not again so 
Um, I think it's important to give advice as parents and to be encouraging uh, and to give as many opportunities as you can. Um, and when something goes, you know, goes wrong or they have a bad day or they don't see eye to eye with the coach, yes, of course, you, you intervene and, and, you know, you can have a quiet word. But more often than not, I just think it's about expression. It's about letting the children express themselves. And if, yeah, if, the child, if you think the child can give more, then sure, you tell them. Or if you think you have a piece of you know, tactical advice or technical advice, sure, it's no problem to, to offer that. But uh, I would say less is more in that regard. And, and that's kind of how I, I try with my children. You know, you, you talked about ultra hands-on parents. It seems like some parents are, uh, they're so involved that they kind of don't leave enough room for the kids to, to control their own destiny. I think, for whatever for whatever reason, I don't I don't know I don't know why it seems that parents almost always live vicariously through their children's sports, you know. And um, as I said, more often than not, the the child doesn't have uh, the strength or or certainly the authority to kind of speak up and say, hey, you know, back off a bit, yeah, because that's just the parent uh, the parent child role, right? But um, yeah, it, it often, oftentimes to me seems as if um, we'd all be better served, and certainly most importantly, the children would be better served um, just allowing, being allowed to express themselves without the pressure of the of the parent. Tim, uh, this has been just delightful. Um, any last word you'd like to share with all the people who are going to be listening to this? Uh, I think we covered it all. It's just been it's been great to be on and, and to chat with you. I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Yeah, same here. Tim, thank you so much. Thank you. To learn more about Responsible Sports, visit ResponsibleSports.com. You'll find valuable Responsible Sport parenting and Responsible Coaching Guides, downloadable tools and worksheets, and helpful advice from leading youth sports experts. Music for this podcast has been generously provided by APM Music.